0: Chapter 16 During the time I spent with Ken, his organization grew to the point where it was handling several hundred thousand dollars a year. I looked around and saw that other seminar groups were also attracting big money. Since I had now become a cornerstone of Ken's network and innovated many of the successful teaching techniques. A part of me began thinking that perhaps I should go off from starting doing my own thing. I'm not sure if these thoughts were catalyzed by greed or feelings of self-importance, but I surmise that both of these ingredients were present in some degree. When I finally made the decision to leave Ken, since California was glutted with self-improvement courses, effectiveness trainings, growth seminars, and human potential workshops, I decided to return to the East. Just before leaving California, I visited Ramdas, who was staying at a house in Berkeley while he was lecturing on the West Coast. Although we had been corresponding continually, I hadn't seen him in almost a year. When I told him about my teaching work and about the uh, physical and psychological healings I had experienced since last seeing him, he offered me this caution. Don't focus so much on the virtue of attempt attaining psychological well-being. Don't focus so much on the virtue of attaining psychological well-being. God should be your primary concern as spirituality unfolds. The psychological well-being just happens. His advice helped put things into perspective as I returned to New Jersey, where I founded the Organization for Sensitivity Development. The response was immediate and very positive. Doctors, lawyers, clergymen, what's clergymen? Even psychiatrists flocked to my seminars. I found it unbelievable at times to think of how close I had come to killing myself. The frenzy of youth drives so many mad, but time has an amazing power to heal the mind. If young people could only trust the healing quality in the passage of time, most would find themselves transmuted into more balanced souls capable of surviving the daily tumult. tumult. This too shall pass, is an observation in the Kabbalah, the Quran, and many other philosophical and religious texts. I feel it should be repeated again and again to every suicidal person, trying to escape emotional pain when things are completely dark it's difficult to imagine that they can get better and completely dark when things are completely dark it's difficult to imagine that they can get better and it's even more difficult to realize that you don't have to do anything to make them better except to wait and be patient patience is still my most important lesson to learn, but I have been constantly growing in this area and beg every despondent soul to wait. Wait, just wait. While waiting, I also recommend some type of service to others as an effective way of taking one's mind off the problem that is causing so much distress. It was now April of 1975, lest I give the impression that everything was totally rosy in my life since my surgery the year before, I must candidly say that it was not. Lest I give the impression that everything was totally rosy in my life since my surgery the year before, I must candidly, candidly, I must candidly, say that it was not. There were suddenly moments of self-doubt, and every day was not euphoric. But although the sea of my life was frequently choppy and. Occasionally, waves pulled me under. I was I was buoyed by the life jacket of what I had learned and was therefore never pulled down too far. Two things in particular ploughed me. The first was the period in which I had been so sexually promiscuous I realized it had been a necessary part of my development as I searched for a sense of identity, but I never quite shook off the guilt I amassed from using other people for my own purposes. To remain happy, the third life requirement, self-worth, must present itself with regularity. The memories of my sexual exploitations often kindled gross feelings of unworthiness, and I would plummet from my high space and fall with a leaden thud. The other problem I was dealing with resolved around money. Even though people were willing to pay for my seminars, and even though payment for services is the norm here in America, I was not comfortable charging money for what I did. I felt as if I was selling people something they already had. Hilda had never taken money, neither had Ramdas. And though Ken generally received money for his services, he never took money from me. I was escorted along the trail of discovery without charge. I was escorted along the trail of discovery without charge and left an obligation to pass on the teachings in the same spirit in which I received them. In my gut, I knew that true spirituality was not something to be sold like a commodity in the marketplace. To experience God is a divine gift, and the exchange of money seems to taint the purity of my efforts. Also, I remember the phrase, just create our livings by what we earn, but we create our lives by what we give. Hmm create our livings by what we earn. We create our lives by what we give. At the time I faced this dilemma, I was totally without funds, living in my parents' home again, and it had been 2 years since I'd performed professionally as Tolly the Crown Magician. More and more, I began to be obsessed with the first life requirement, financial security. Confused, I telephoned Hilda for advice. Trust God, dear, came her sweet voice in counsel, reminding me of Jesus' words. Look at the birds. They don't worry about food. Do they worry about food? They are fed. Look at the lilies. Do they worry about growth? God cares for all his creation, and everything always turns out perfect in the divine scheme of things. Remember the Lord moves in mysteries way, mysterious ways. Come visit me. a solution will manifest itself as always. Hilda bolstered my trust. And I resolved to see I resolved to see her the following day, knowing that the mysterious ways of the Lord would be revealed. However, it was not the following day, but the same day that ended with one of the most uncanny events in my life. Uncanny events in my life. I had dinner at a friend's house in Manhattan. He lived just down the street from Hilda on West End Avenue. After we ate and enjoyed our visit, I bade him good night and left. I bade him good night and left. It was about ten thirty, and there was a tor- torrential downpour torrential downpour. The sidewalks and streets were slick, and I dared not run for fear of slipping. At the corner, the red, don't walk sign was lit, and I had to stand in the soaking rain. Finally, I saw the green walk sign come on, and I stepped from the curb and proceeded to cross the street suddenly without warning it seemed like i was slipping back into asparagus asparagus asparagusness new york vanished there was no rain a silent steady awareness witnessed my body whirling only three seconds passed but they were laden with so much intensity that it will take my entire life to unravel all that I saw in those three seconds. My mind entertained countless thoughts. I must have just died. Oh no, I must have taken too many psychedelics. I'm having a stroke. The only thought that never occurred to me was that I had been struck from behind by a uh, 1970 Pontiac Grand Prix and was now spinning head over heels 25 feet in the air. All thoughts abruptly ceased Ceased when I hit the pavement. After an indeterminate Amount of time. After an indeterminate amount of time, I heard a voice somewhere in the darkness saying, I think he's dead. <laughs> Immediately, my eyes shot open. Inches above my nose, I could see the distinctive black rubber tread of an auto tire, and I knew at once I'd been hit by a car. A surge of pain engulfed, engulfed, engulfed me. And again, I lost consciousness. I recall opening my eyes once in the ambulance, but my perceptions were fuzzy. But my perceptions were fuzzy. I only regained full consciousness later in the hospital. Actually, I was quite lucky. Had I seen the approaching car before the moment of impact, my muscles would have tightened and my stiff, rigid body would have made me a more likely candidate for total annihilation. However, because I was struck from behind, without awareness of what was happening, my body remained relaxed, sailed through the air with grace, and my life was spread my wife was spared still the injuries i sustained seemed more than i was prepared to heap to bear prepared to bear despite my training my spirit was temporarily crushed physical pain was not localized and i found it difficult to endure even with meditation my entire body felt as if it was being bombarded by lightning and thunder. My besides phone brought Hilda's consoling voice to my ear. How are you, darling? Her voice moved me to tears. I mumbled incoherently. At first, they managed to say, it seems like someone is shooting flashbulbs off in my eyes. How wonderful, Hilda exclaimed. That's the spiritual energy cursing up your spine. It's called kundalini. Be grateful that your kundalini is being released. You're so lucky. Hmm. The most important lesson Hilda has ever taught me is how to create my life so that there is always a victory to celebrate. The absurdity to hear the absurdity of her congratulations turned my tears to spontaneous laughter. She cooed in my ear and pain seems to evaporate from me like puddles following a brief cloud burst in the Sahara. She concluded by saying we'll pray for you dear and memories of the power held by Hilda's prayers immediately soothed every cell within my broken body. Weeks passed and though healing was taking place it seems to occur in spite of the care I received at the hospital. Uh, The overworked and Underpaid nurses had a little time and a little desire to provide what I really needed to recover. Loud voices filled the hospital corridors all during the night. Once, when my ice pick broke, no one responded to my besides cold button, and I spent the entire night shrouded in cold, wet linen. Finally, I decided I had had enough, and when some friends came to visit me on their way to Hilda's meditation class, I persuaded them to carry me out of the hospital and take me to the class with them. Ignoring the protests of nurses and physicians, I escaped into the night, Hilda's class, which was then being held at St. Luke's. Church in Green Greenwich Village was already in progress when my pajama clad body appeared at the door. Supported on both sides by the arms and shoulders of my friends, I was eased into a chair and Hilda approached. Her classes had continued to grow and about one thousand people were present that night like The Red Sea, the thong of people parted before her. She advanced toward me. Nearing me, she shook her head from side to side and emitted a wonderful laugh. Kids, Hilda said, addressing the crowd of young and old alike, we must heal this child. Point your palms at Tolly and let all... Let us call down the infinite energy of the universe and amplify the healing power within us all. Let it come through now, kids. Hilda placed one of her hands on my head and the other on my heart. A thousand voices created an ohm that rumbled through the church. resounding of the walls and high ceiling. The chair in which I sat began to vibrate from the force and intensity of the tumultuous roar. In my ear, I could hear Hilda's command, Rearrange your atoms! Rearrange your atoms! Oh yes, oh yes, the atoms are rearranging themselves. The ohm thundered and grew louder, grew louder. Hilden made no attempt to control it or draw it draw it to a close. Minutes passed, but within me time stood still. Colours were surging through my brain. The impact of the sound on my body made me feel as if I would collapse. Hilda sensed my inner condition and ordered me to hold the power. Don't let it overcome you. Contain it. Use it. Absorb it. The room shook. The room shook, shook, as if an earthquake was unleashing the molten fury of the planet. My mind was emptied of thought. As my brains swir- swir- swirled, swirled amid stars and galaxies, I forgot where I was, who I was, what had happened. an empty an empty shell that once was my foam disintegrated and was blown away by the wind of the mighty ohm. Only asparagus remained. At the end of what seemed like eternity, the din subsides, and I returned to my body. Hilda addressed the friends who had brought me from the hospital, instructing them to take me home and put me to bed That night I slept as never before. For the next several weeks, my friend Alan Cohen cared for me with tenderness and love. His home became my hospital and healing advanced rapidly. By June, I was well enough to travel and I flew to Florida to spend more time with my grandfather who was living in a retirement community. I availed myself of the heated pool and health spa swimming daily as a therapy for my recovering body. The impact of the car had caused a massive concussion. The impact of the car had caused a massive concussion, dislocated my right hip, ruptured one of my kidneys buried and lacerated my entire body, and caused considerable damage to my spine. I felt Hilda's love with me always, and everything but my spine healed perfectly within four months. The spine would take much longer, and there were many lessons I had to learn along the way to its healing. Disability insurance provided my income while I waited for the court to decide on a settlement. Remembering Hilda's reference to the Lord working in mysterious ways when I had phoned her for advice about financial security on the very day of my accident. I saw that for the first time, I saw that for the time being, at least, (coughs) <coughs> I did not have to accept money for my teaching work. But now, teaching itself had become a distant reality. Much deep healing had to occur first. I spent the summer with grandpa and enjoyed the comfort of retirement village. In the autumn, I returned to the West Coast, purchasing a small trailer, which I moved to the woods outside of Cologne. Columbia, a tiny town in the mountains of Northern California. There on the edge of the stainless stainless national forest, I made my home without electricity or modern amenities. I s- sequestered I sequestered myself in my little cloister and attempted to plan my future my mind was not clear and bodily pain was a frequent companion the romantic role of the hermit the romantic role of the hermit was the only one i felt ready to play this image had been in my mind for years when i had asked Faraday for a divorce, and my life was falling apart, I had imagined myself seeking refuge alone among the trees and mossy rocks. Whenever I had read novels in which there was a character who lived in a grass, he lived in a grass hut, he lived in a grass hut, In the forests, my imagination burned with excitement. That was the character I could most easily relate to, the character I envied. I knew there was some special understanding that accompanied that way of life. So for me, living in the woods was a dream come true, and it was not in the least disappointing. This tranquil setting soon became my long awaited teacher in the subtle art of meditation, neither grasping after, not, neither grasping after nor pushing away. Nature and I watched the month drift by.